Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Christmassy episode of DN Discussions. This is episode 14, and this is the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, with me as always, as my partner in crime, some would call him an elf, Ben Bumhoffer. How you doing? You know, Ryan, it is a gift to be with you here tonight. <laughs> ho, ho, am, ho, indeed. I'm so glad you are present. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Um, I, I'm actually really excited about this because uh, th- this was something that we were you know, kind of trying to figure out, okay, well, what can we do? And then I took a look at the schedule to see when this episode would be released. And uh, we kind of talked about it, and I think we've come up with something that uh, hopefully is going to be a lot of fun, you know, on this very special episode. I hope so. And the, the hope is it, that it will be educational and fun, and <laughs> if we do a good job, maybe you can even use it. But this is, this is the first time we're trying something like this, so who knows? We may never try something like this again, or it could work out really well. We'll see. Exactly. So, <laughs> for our, our first topic of discussion tonight, we're going to be talking about one shots because one shots are something that uh, are incredibly popular and they're absolutely fantastic for introducing people to the game or for doing something like uh, I want to find out what it's like to play X class of character. I want to find out what it's like to play at x level or something like that and you it allows you to experiment do concepts uh without the fear of campaign affecting things Mm -hmm. exactly we are going to create a special christmas themed D &D one shot live well not live when you listen to it but when we created it, it was live tonight, and who knows, who knows what's going to happen. This could be the uh, worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. Um, but first, let's go over a few uh, guidelines mm-hmm. for, for one-shots. I'll kind of run through what I normally uh, do when I, when I create a one-shot, and then Ben will chime in with uh, like his tips and tricks one-shot creation um so just kind of in general a one-shot is a self-contained story you want you want a story that can be began and ended normally in a session um this this type of thing is usually a more railroaded experience versus an open-ended thing because if you're going to do a self-contained story uh, and you're going to keep it to a certain amount of time or try to, you're going to want to guide the story. And it's something that the players should be aware of beforehand and should, for the most part, expect from a one shot mm-hmm. uh, to pick up the plot hooks that the DM puts down um, to kind of follow, follow the trail, follow the guideline. Um, and that's, that's what will work for your one shot. Now, good DMs can take players who aren't as good about sticking to those things and kind of, you know, creatively swizzle them around 
to where they need to go. Uh, and that's totally doable, but in general, it's good for your players to set the expectations beforehand. So they kind of know what they're getting themselves into. That's incredibly true. Especially if, um, I I mean, it's not exactly, you know, underhanded to, you know, talk to one or two of the players and basically say, Hey, you know, this is a one shot just kind of, if, if you don't see people kind of taking the bait, could you just nip at it and then, you know, kind of help lead the party into the beginning of the adventure. Cause sometimes that might be the hardest thing to do. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you have, you know, you have an ally on your side, just be all like, Oh, the, there's rumors of kidnappings going on. Well, let's check that out or, or, or something, you know, it's like, all you need is that little hook to get it going and someone to help you kind of, you know, start the story. Exactly. Um, and like I, like I mentioned before, normally one shots will last anywhere from two to four hours uh, of content. So you kind of want to gauge what that content will be. Usually one shots uh, are a good mix of RP and combat because you want to kind of give all the flavors, especially if you're introducing mm-hmm. new people to D&D. And a lot of times with one shots, like I was talking about earlier, you're going to be testing things out, trying things out. So you want to give a little bit of uh, flavor of each type of experience so that you can actually gauge different things because a one shot that's all RP or all combat, if that's what your group wants, that's not a bad thing. But that does definitely does not allow you to get all aspects of the game or of the particular class you're playing. Um, yeah. One of the other, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, it's like, um, it just kind of as a good example, uh, don't have only just, you know, one combat encounter, just because, especially for newer people, if they're just kind of figuring something out, you don't want to be like, okay, here's the big bad guy fight, and then that's it. You know, have, throw like a little minor combat encounter at them and everything, so that, you know, they can kind of get the hang of it, you know, try to as best as you can, as, as we all know, it doesn't always happen this way. Try to make it go like maybe two or three rounds or something. And then um, at, at that point, you know, they, they've had a little bit of a taste and can kind of have an idea of, of what to do when you actually do get to, you know, the final big bad of, of this one shot. Uh, I find that it, it really helps to just, you know, give a little bit of taste because, you know, uh, like you said, some people might be trying out new classes. They might be doing D&D for the very first time. So regardless, it, it just gives you just that little bit extra in there uh, and, and lets you become more prepared for later on because everybody will have a little bit more uh, understanding of what's going on. Exactly. My, my normal guideline is usually two to three encounters per one shot is usually a pretty decent uh, pretty decent compromise because that allows you to do a little bit of story time, uh, a few small encounters, and then maybe end it with a, with a big bang at the end. Um, or one thing you can do, and I know I've talked a little bit about Sly Flourish's uh, lazy, lazy DMs guide. And again, I will plug this because it is fan freaking tastic for any DM uh, for prep uh, story or anything like that. But, I love one of the concepts he talks about called the hot start. And it's basically a way to really rev up 
your either your session or in this case your one shot where you get into a combat encounter or something uh higher energy very quickly very early on Mm -hmm. then you let things settle a little bit do some rp and lead on to whatever your next scenario might be and that kind of moves into uh the other piece of one shots is uh the cool thing about those is the they don't have to, but the stakes can be very high in one shots because you know this is this is your thing. Like when I design one shots, I don't necessarily worry near as much about balance mm-hmm. as I would in a normal campaign where the players have characters they very much care about, they've been developing, and me not balancing something right could lead to the untimely death of one of these characters through no fault of their own. But in one shots, you are under no compulsion to do that. And in a lot of ways, it can be very fun to do those type of things in the, I'm just going to throw this at you. Let's see what kind of strategy you can come up with and see who survives. And if you die, it's a one shot, Mm -hmm. no big deal. We all still had fun. So uh, those are kind of uh, kind of my guidelines for for one shots. Ben, any other any other like one shot planning execution things that you want to talk about before we try this? <laughs> this thing? Um, I mean, the big thing is is you know we talked about having you know a couple encounters, uh, you know two, three, whatever. Whether it's it's uh, you know full on just combat encounters, you can have you know RP encounters, you know however you want to work it and everything. Um, try to just have you know. A, a loose story in in there you know you don't have to go super detailed on a one shot you know you don't need you know the gigantic map of the of the continent you don't need to have you know 20 npcs with backstories you don't need to have an entire hierarchy of gods or anything like that it, it's the idea of okay um basically you need to get characters from point a to point b to c and maybe d depending on you know how far you want to take this and one of the neat things about it is, is that along the way, you can still have, you know, a couple different ways of getting to point A from A to B and things like that, especially in some of those RP sessions, you know, um, since they're players who are new, they might not know, hey, let's go talk to the city guard to see if we can get some information or, or anything, you know, they, there's multiple avenues of kind of where they could go with that. And the idea is be as flexible as possible because anything you say and do you don't really need to worry too much about hanging on to that. You know, like Ryan, you were saying about how it's not going to affect the campaign as a whole. It's just, you're getting them through this tiny adventure. So be as flexible as you want, have a little bit of, uh, you know, structure and uh, have fun. Yep. Having fun is definitely (laughs) the goal of this. Uh, In a, in addition to, experimenting and playing around and one shots are great for experimenting mm-hmm. you've got a, got a battle concept you think might be cool for your main campaign test out a version of it uh we see this in video games all the time uh where say take world of warcraft for instance uh we see them all the time throw systems in in minor patches uh because they are testing the waters with these things to see if they're fun, see if they're, they'll scale 
and then we see them implement them in larger ways in expansions or whatnot. You can take kind of that same concept for your games if you've got a cool idea for a villain or a cool idea for a scenario or a cool idea for uh, some kind of combat encounter, make a version of it, throw it in a one shot, see how it works, take the feedback, tweak it, and then you can use it for quote unquote real in your campaign. Exactly. This is entirely what a beta build is. (laughs) Just throw it together, see what happens. Exactly. Just a side note here. I am constantly trying to like get my parents to kind of understand Dungeons and Dragons. Like I tell my mom stories about what happens in the campaign all the time. And uh, we're going to be visiting them in a couple months. And I think I might throw together like a two or three hour session, just a one shot, just to try to get them involved. So you totally should. Yeah. I have no idea if it's going to go to hear about, (laughs) but it's like, okay, so nevermore would be with me. My sister probably who they both played, uh, obviously, Nevermore's in my my ongoing campaign, and then I th- I think I can get my mom interested. Maybe my dad. So I don't know it, if I can I get it to happen. I, I will tell all about it. I I very much look forward to that story. And now you are obligated. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Christmas time. Mm-hmm. A mythical entity known as the Claws delivers gifts, food, and presents to all the good little boys and girls of Herringford. However, this year, Claws is late. He's never been this late before. In fact, people are starting to wonder where he is. The people of Herringford have hired you and your friends, a traveling band of mercenaries, to see if you can find the wonderful old man that comes every year to bring joy to this village. And that's where we begin our story. And that is just a tiny little plot for a one-shot. Wow, you prepped way more of that than I thought you would have. I just made that up. Oh, nice. Okay. I thought we were just doing this all on the fly. Was I supposed to prep something? No, no, no. It it sounded prepped. That's why I was surprised. So, all right. So, all you need is is a story. Just a paragraph. Mm -hmm. Just uh, take take an idea. Uh, In this case, we have a town. We have a reason for the players to be there. We have a problem and we have a, a little bit of a mystery in this case. And then we got to find him. And so this is a nice little, uh, small self-contained story plot hook. So we've got our little paragraph we've written out about what we want our one shot to be, but now we need to, kind of fill in the details and like Ben said, how do we get from point A to point B to point C? So Ben, what kind of um, social encounters, what kind of combat encounters uh, would we want to insert into this just uh, bones of a story? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, one of the things that I do is I usually try to 
uh, or what I do is I, I get the end point and work my way back. Um, so the clause is missing. We don't know what's going on. So now we get to kind of look at it and decide, okay, um, the clause, a, a gentle soul who brings happiness and, and uh, prosperity to those that he visits is gone. Um, obviously he's been kidnapped. Yeah. He's, he needs to be rescued. So it, it, but from what Ben? And that's the thing. Um, as everybody knows during Christmas and what was the town called again? Herring, Harrington town, Herringford, Herringford. Herring, ah, yeah. Cool. Something like that. <laughs> I'm going to just put that. In I didn't write here. Let's say I didn't write any of this down. <laughs> well, we're going to call it Herringford. There we go. Okay. Herringford. So, um, as as uh, Christmas nears, the people of Herringford, uh, they they prep, they sing songs, they they decorate the town greatly, knowing that the clouds will be visiting. But what they don't know is that in the north, past the the forbidden woods, is a cave where the great Yeti lives, and the Yeti is always hunting for food is always desperate for, for, for things to entertain him. So after he hears the legend of the claws, he has to have it himself. So he kidnaps the claws and forces him to give him everything that he would have given to the town. Man, I hate the Yeti already. Oh yeah. He's horrible. I mean, some might call him like a grunch or something. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to be sued. <laughs> so okay, that's great. So now we have we have our intro, we have our setting, and we have our ending. We have the clause is kidnapped. The adventurers will need to go and find him, defeat the yeti, re- recover the gifts, the food, the presents, and bring them back to the town so the town can enjoy the holidays. Mm-hmm. So now we can jump into kind of the middle section. And this is really cool because we can start off. Uh, we could have, uh, you could, you could do, and this is, this is where flavor comes in because mm-hmm. a lot of times what I like to do, especially for these one shots is find a monster stat block you like, then reskin. I know we talked about this a little bit when we talked about creating custom monsters. Mm-hmm. So the Yeti is, is an evil dude. He commands uh, many minions. And in this case, uh, evil enchanted snowmen Ooh. come and attack the town where the, the mercenaries are being hired because he is very jealous of this town that has been getting all this love and care and uh, gifts from the claws for so many years. He hates them so much now that he wants to destroy the town. So intro fight, these magically imbued snowmen, evil snowmen, they've got like, instead of like coal smiles, it's like fang coal Mm -hmm. smiles. Oh yeah, and wickedly sharp briars and thorns for arms. Yep, some of them they can whip their arms out and 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 attack at a distance with that. And so, find a stat block 
that sounds cool and just take it and just so let's say your your characters for this this one shot are level three or level five something like that uh find a, a stat block for some cr2 cr3 things uh throw three or four of them in there and you've got yourself a a nice little battle and this is not meant to be a battle that will kill our heroes this is meant to be a battle that will test our heroes add some flavor add some stakes to the story um and then once defeated and that's your hot start then you can go into the town do a little rp question people about the claws question people about who might hate him oh there's rumors that up in the mountains there's this creature uh we we don't go up there anymore because people have have disappeared i wonder if the claws got got caught up with him or i wonder if if uh if he's taken the claws and they can outfit your adventurers uh they can give information uh maybe through good persuasion checks uh potentially history checks in the in the local town archives that have cataloged the claws this Even- mythical figure for hundreds of years somehow he's continued to come to this town and uh potentially attacks that have happened like this before that are things he's he's talked about or rumors from the mountains that uh that this entity or this this crazy thing is there you can do a lot of research you can get your supplies uh and then you can get pointed in the right direction exactly and see here's the great thing is is that um, so you mentioned, you know, like uh, history checks and, and, and persuasion and stuff like that. Hell, you can even go with a religion check. You know, this could be something that's been around for a very long time. You might run into some elves who knew uh, a story of a, 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 a fey creature that was, you know, like, a, you know, an arch fey or something that was worshipped. And because of it, 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 it gave gifts and prosperity to its, its people. And, you know, it, just any way that you can kind of connect the claws with the people in the town and you don't have to have it all written out either. You can actually just come up with it on the fly based on what your, your uh, players are actually throwing out there and, you know, twist stuff around, play with it. And, and basically this isn't something where you want to hold them back from finding it. You don't want to make it hard to get this information. You're trying to push them and, and, and go along this adventure with them. So, you know, Anything that they can come up with, try to give them something, even if it's just a piece that they can kind of take and then, you know, grow a little by getting another piece from something else. Yeah, so exactly. It, once they find out about, um, you know, the, this, this potentially evil entity that lives past the forbidden forest, they know that they have to journey through there. So they get their supplies. They take their first steps into the forest where they come across um, some, some sleigh tracks well, they start following them. And what they find is a, a big red sleigh overturned and broken and damaged like it was attacked by something. And then all of a sudden you have some survival checks. You can try to figure out, you know, what happened? Are there footprints around? What, what could have caused this? And as they're doing this, if you want, there's some more of those snowman minions. You know you're on the right track because you're coming across a lot of the same stuff. Yep. That's a, and that's, that's a great 
point for a mid encounter. You got your beginning, middle, end. Uh, you've done some investigation. You've done some RP. So now you have another little encounter. It could be with the snowman. It could be with other creatures, uh, potentially ones that you've reskinned uh, of this yeti that are guarding this forbidden forest and trying to keep you from journeying further into his lair, into his cave area. Um, and one thing too, I wanted to mention, a lot of times uh, Ben Ben talked about not having to over prep the town or, or whatever. Uh, one of the things I do for one shots usually is I'll write down a few names for NPCs. Uh, and I don't really, I, I might assign like, uh, Matilda, middle-aged, gray hair, then that's it. Uh, or Wilbur, uh, gnome, 43 years old. It's you a good know, gnome name. Just, exactly. <laughs> and just, just very, very quick, very tiny things so that whenever they encounter somebody in town and talk to them, you can just pluck one of those names you prepared and place that character there. Like, and, and that makes it easy to drag and drop. You can just prep a few, a few people and you're done. Yeah, exactly. It's like all of a sudden, Oh, well they need to go to the shop to get some snow boots and some heavier clothing. Matilda helps them out. You know, she's a nice old lady who runs the, the general store. Uh, you're in luck. Snowshoes are half price today. Uh, since she knows that you're going to be venturing out into the wilderness, maybe you can persuade her to, to give you an even better discount. Yeah, Who knows? Exactly. And then moving back to, to our adventurers in the middle of the forbidden woods, uh, the, the cave is too far to get there in one day. So they have to hunker down for the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, it is cold. It is snowing. And they may not have a very good night. And so this is a good time that you can do some, some really interesting stuff. Like uh, uh, we talked about this in another episode, a skill challenge, potentially mm-hmm. have a skill challenge where uh, they want to get three successful checks before they get three failures. And it has to do with building a camp up, finding firewood, uh, hollowing out uh a place to, to stay, um, how much warm things did they, did they pack? Uh, <laughs> did, did they do it right? And it can be a really cool little skill challenge that can potentially give them uh, some sort of boon uh, if, they, if they succeed and they have a really good night's sleep and they feel well-rested and they all wake up and they get five temporary hit points for doing well and having this thing or if they if they fail miserably and they don't use their skills right and the the, their survival checks are bad the perception checks are bad or whatever maybe they wake up with a level of exhaustion after a long cold hard night and so it will make the the fight at the end that much more difficult Mm -hmm. so just cool little scenarios like that that can kind of shake things up get people's gears turning uh, to use the skills they're proficient. Exactly. And even on top of that, that could be just an RP moment as well. 
Uh, I mean, they're hunkering down for the night. They've got a campfire. What do you do? Tell stories, talk about your character, maybe um, talk about maybe uh, previous gifts that you've gotten from the claws, you know, it, just the tiniest little things of, of just, you know, development that this way you can get all types of different aspects of D and D, especially if you've got some new players here, they might not want to open up right away, but guess what? You can talk to someone who is, you know, a, a true person into it or a true person into it. What am I saying? Someone who's, you know, RP'd quite a bit before, you know, have them kind of start up a conversation for a little bit, you know, it, Obviously, it's not the entire game because we're not continuing on for months and months on this. But, you know, just a little table talk and just, you know, kind of have some fun with it. Tell a story or two, you know, then decide what, what's going to happen. You know, it, should they take watch? Is that something that they think that they need in the forbidden forest? Um, and then at that point, if you want to throw another encounter at them, have something happen. If you want to actually have the 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 cold night and the survival checks and everything be the actual encounter for the night they don't need to be attacked you know not every single time that a party goes to sleep in the world of dungeons and dragons are they gonna get attacked yeah it's good to throw variety in because variety Mm -hmm. is the spice of life exactly Uh, (laughs) and one other big note too um, and this is kind of just a general dming rule but never make people roll a check that you need them to succeed and they fail yeah if there's if there's needed information give it to them don't make them roll a check on it because Mm -hmm. if they fail a time where they have needed information then that just will screw everything it's the end (laughs) yeah so you have to you have to kind of weigh that in when when you ask for checks like that and searching for tracks and whatnot or at the at the other side of that allow those type of things if they fail then some detrimental effect can happen and they but they still find what they're looking Mm -hmm. for like tracks or whatever so they wake up the next morning they look for tracks they continue along they come to the frozen ice cave, glistens in the sun, uh, shining like this large diamond, this ominous hole, so dark that you cannot see but five or ten feet in front of you from the outside. And you hear moaning, and you hear the scraping of claws. Not claws, but claws. Well, he might be scraping. You don't know that. It's true. You never know. <laughs> then, then you have, uh, then the party can investigate. Perhaps there are traps on the outside mm-hmm. of the cave. Perhaps it is rigged to drop ice or rocks uh, for adventurers who are not being observant. They make it into the cave and there they find the claws trapped in a cage forced to perform to tell stories to this yeti a large pile of gifts and food in the back and this large yeti there ready to defend his prize here's the best part are they going to go with the christmas spirit and try to talk to this yeti and you know make its heart grow three times its size 
Are they going to try to sneak in and, and, and help the claws escape? Or are they going to go in guns blazing? I mean, this is one of the great things about having a one shot, especially one that has, you know, a lot of variability in it is it really depends on what the players want. And in an instance like this, yeah, big evil thing. Let's go attack it right away. But as we learned in Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, sometimes they just have a toothache and you need to just pull out all their teeth and then they're friendly. That sounds horrifying, but that's what happened. Yep. It's it's true. The the old Rudolph. Uh, But yeah. So like Ben said, there's potentially a lot of different ways to resolve this encounter. Some of which don't involve combat and some of them, or you might try one of them and it ends up becoming combat. <laughs> exactly a very poor job but regardless it's it's super fun make sure that your your big bad guy is a challenge but depending on the one shot uh do a little balance uh <laughs> with with your, with your stuff um make it make it winnable of course especially for a one shot mm-hmm. uh of this this nature there might be some one shots where it's some gauntlet thing or some this is probably going to kill us all but we're going to try anyways this is this is probably not one of those one shots maybe not Uh, (laughs) make it make it fun make it an interesting encounter this is a yeti he's got a layer maybe uh add in some layer actions for Mm -hmm. flavor uh maybe give him because uh, whenever you do a one monster versus three or four people, the monster is always going to be at a disadvantage because of action economy. Yeah. So maybe, uh, so layer actions can help with that. Maybe give the Yeti, there's nothing saying you can't give a CR three or a CR four uh, monster legendary actions. Yeah. Or you know what? He's been sending snowmen this entire time. Who says he doesn't have a couple of them in there yeah. guarding claws? Totally. So there's there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Kind of make it balanced. Kind of make it interesting. Make it fun. Uh, make sure that uh, you have claws and the Yeti uh, talking during combat, saying interesting things. Mm-hmm. Potentially, uh, during combat, you could convince him to, to stop to stop fighting, to, to let claws go. Um, make sure that your, your players have some sort of an inkling that uh, potentially, even as combat goes, that talking could potentially solve things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once whatever the result of this encounter is, you take your freed claws, you bring him back, you bring back the, the presents and the food, the gifts, back to the town. You have a little celebration and see. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Christmas one shot right there. I can't think of anything else that I would add to that. That, that I would like to play that, actually. And we can. That's the and best part. <laughs> and you can. And it's, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. You can do it. You can you can make an awesome little one shot. Mm-hmm. You can make it super corny and base it on a <laughs> on a holiday, or you could do 
you know, something a little more traditional. Uh, but it's basically just take those guidelines and take your, take your paragraph of story and turn it into something cool. Exactly. That, okay. So that was, that was actually really fun. We, I think we might need to do this again at some points, not necessarily every holiday. We don't need a theme like that, but (laughs) all right. I can't wait for Arbor day. (laughs) So there's a tree can only be planted in the <laughs> mythical garden. Oh no. It's Jeremy. It's the cycle of life of a certain tree. It 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 for a year it grows and then dies and you have to replant the seed otherwise the cycle is broken. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But it is in the forest of Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called the forest of Jeremy? You'll have to play to find out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah so that's there's a there's a little one shot that you can you can play and mm-hmm. uh if you made a one shot if you uh make one after this send us send us your ideas yeah. we want to hear your we want to hear your one shot stories uh especially around the holidays these are the perfect times for one shots because usually people are off work uh there's a little more availability and mm-hmm. It's it's just a super fun time with friends or family, Ben. Uh, to Not until like February or so is when that might happen. So we got to wait a little while. But I already have an idea of what we're doing. Nice. I love it. Can't we're not wait. leaving the city. <laughs> Good stuff. Urban, urban one shots are fun. Definitely. I like it. Uh, so yeah. That's our one shot. That's how to make a one shot. So we'd love to hear uh, your ideas, your one shots. So send and them over. if you play ours, let us know how it goes. Yeah. I don't know if anybody will, but that would be <laughs> super fun to hear for sure. Okay, cool. So jumping uh, a bit away from one shots, uh, we're going to talk about one more campaign related thing. Uh, we talked about homebrew a little bit, and today we're going to kind of go along with that same vein, and we're going to talk about something called house rules. And house rules are basically addendums, tweaks, or extra things that you add to your game that are not in the official rule book that you're using to ideally make your game more interesting, make it more fun, make it more varied. So we wanted to talk about a few uh, popular house rules and then a few of the house rules that we use in our game. So Ben, what are, what are some really popular house rules that you've seen for, for campaigns? Uh, well, first of all, um, I'm going to take a line from uh, Dale Kingsmill, who I I watched her video on YouTube uh, about some of her house rules that she uses. Uh, One of the first things that she said is that, hey, you know what? A lot of people borrow and or steal different house rules, something that seems interesting to them, something that they like. Uh, And based on that alone, I want to give some credit to some of the the videos that I watched on some of the house rules that are out there because there's way more than I do that I never even thought of before. So I want to say, of course, thank you to Matt Mercer because he's got a couple. Uh, the DM layer, uh, again, Dale uh, Kingsmill, and also uh, a new channel I just randomly found today when I did a search for house rules, uh, XP to level three. 
So thanks for uh, contributing to this list a little bit, but um, overall, one of the, 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 the smallest and easiest changes that I absolutely love is uh, dealing with healing potions. So normally in order to take a healing potion for yourself, it's an action. Um, I have seen and I have uh, experienced the fact that sometimes when you take the healing potion, your action's used up, you can't really do much else. And if something's attacking you, you're basically going to get hit right away. And all those healing po- points that you just got are completely gone anyway. So it's kind of just a death spiral of you trying to stay alive if you're chugging potions because you can't do anything to defend yourself. So uh, also, if, if you've ever played some of the turn-based Final Fantasy games, this can happen quite a bit too. It's, it's kind of the same <laughs> idea of every turn I'm healing and I can never attack this thing and kill it. So um, something that I saw on Critical Role, but it, it, again, based on my play experience and from what I've seen, uh, it, it's, it's a bonus action to take a potion. And then that way for your action, you can still do something, whether it's, you know, try to dash and run away, try to attack something to make sure that you can, you know, actually try to defeat this thing before it finally, you know, just impales you on a pike or something. Um, I I think it works really well. The thing that I do keep though, is if you're trying to, you know, feed a healing potion to someone else, it's still an action or, you know, anything that involves you using like another, like a regular potion. Like if you're trying to to take a a potion of uh, haste or something like that, that is just a a regular pure on action because that affects something entirely different than just your health. So, and that's, that's actually one I use. Like I really, I really like that one. And most of my my players really seem to like that type of thing. And normally my rule for house rules is that it either needs to help the players or introduce an interesting element of fun. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, another one that I, I highly recommend and uh, I talked a little bit about it before we started today is um, so DM inspirations, the actual rules in the book say that you roll your dice and then, uh, sorry, I did that wrong. Um, you have to declare, I'm using my DM inspiration on this roll. And then you roll your dice, you know, your, your, your double dice, your 2d20s. Um, personally, I don't find that as advantageous or as much fun because, uh, uh, you know, bardic inspiration kind of is better than DM inspiration in that sense, which I don't agree with. I mean, you're the DM, you're God. You're saying, hey, guess what? You get to do an awesome role if you want to or an extra role. So I let players, uh, if they roll, you know, before they know what the result is, uh, if they want to use their DM inspiration and roll again, that's great. That's fine. Go for it. Um, it, Again, it's just a a tiny little twist, but I think it it adds more fun to the combat or to the, the skill challenge or whatever it is because it's like, oh, crap. Um, the, the really awesome role playing I did two, you know, two sessions ago is really paying off this time because, uh, I wasn't able to charm this person with the the three that I rolled, but I re-rolled or, or whatever. Um, and I got them and it was the clutch move, which that has actually happened in our game at one point where basically just one combat role was the difference between a fantastic defeat versus a fantastic win. And it, it worked out really well for us. Yeah, that's that's a that's a super cool one. Um, 
one of the ones uh, or some of the ones I like to use, uh, and this is, this one is a fairly popular one that I've seen a lot of times for companions, familiar summons, uh, the rules will say to have them roll their own initiative. Depending on the type of battle, this can get extremely uh, long. This can add a lot of time to things and it can make it easy to forget. Mm -hmm. But especially if it's a, if it's a familiar or a summon. So a lot of times what I will do is I will have the, the, the familiar or the summon or the companion act on the player's turn that controls them and they will choose whether it goes first or their character goes first. And I find that just simplifies battles a lot. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. It, the same kind of goes with uh, like, like Beastmaster hunters. Um, you've got a pet. It, I mean, it automatically goes at the same time as you. Why wouldn't other sorts of, you know, summoned creatures or, um, you know, familiars or whatever. It, it, it makes sense to me. I, I think it, it makes gameplay a lot easier. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, one other one that's probably less common and uh, it, it really depends on your party makeup. And this works really well when you have fewer players as opposed to um, many players, but it's, it's a house rule called turn denying effects. So when a player suffers a turn denying effect, because a lot of times turn denial in D&D is a really big deal. Yes. Especially for the player, and it, especially if there's a lot of enemies or a big combat, a single turn of paralysis or, or hold person or something where you're trying to roll and just cannot get the stupid roll and you're just frozen you can't do a thing it's super annoying i've been there it's happened to me yeah it definitely has with me i've spent an entire combat of like two hours just trying to roll to get out of a stun and because my wisdom wasn't high it wasn't gonna happen it sucks and so one of the one of the rules i've adopted for my campaign um and it's a little less needed now that there are um, six players playing and they have different tools they can use to to combat these type of things but when a player suffers a turn denying effect the player will have a choice on their turn to use their reaction to break the effect however doing this will take great mental strain to fight off whatever the effect is and the player character will suffer a dm determined amount of psychic damage based upon the strength of an effect hmm. so say a level one hold person versus a level three hold person or whatever. And it's, it's not something that can get you out of like slows or prone or something like yeah, that. Cause you're still able to do stuff. Yeah. Strictly for turn denying effects. And I, I really, really like this rule. I think I, I actually saw this um, on uh, Sly Flourish on Twitter was talking about this and he actually had a little chart. Um, he used depending on the the severity of the effect the the damage you take but it at the very least it gives the player choice on whether to take the stun or use their reaction still allow them to have a turn and mm-hmm. take some damage yeah so i, I like things that 
increase player agency. I really like that, and I'm going to steal that. Because, uh, yeah, not not too long ago, I was in a, a, a game, like, literally the entire time. I, I just, it's my turn, I roll a d20, and then I needed to get a 19 or a 20. And I, no, actually, I think I needed to actually roll a 20 in order to actually break that. If I remember correctly, and yeah, it was it was it's not a sucky situation. Yeah, like I, I enjoyed like watching everybody do stuff and have fun and everything because you know I'm I'm not that guy, you know I'm I'm still enjoying the game, but at the same time it's like well, my character is completely useless at this point. So yeah. and that's yeah, never like a that. good feeling to have. So at least yeah. this way it gives you the opportunity to get out of it in exchange. Mm-hmm for damage and then that's it's up to you whether you use it or not yeah um i know another one that we both talked about beforehand was uh a matt mercer Mm -hmm. house rule on death and resurrection yes oh yes um and so far in 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 any game that i've dm nobody has died yet so i haven't had to actually you know put this into place yet but um so here's the thing Dungeons and Dragons is a magical world. And, you know, depending on what level your characters are, depending on, you know, maybe how, you know, religious the world is or something, death might not be as meaningful of a thing, depending on how much money your characters have or, you know, what, again, what level they are and stuff. But something that does make it more, I don't know, um, exciting isn't the right word but more meaningful meaningful yeah meaningful is uh so uh i i actually tried to find a video if he talked about exactly what he does for it but i i wasn't able to find it in the time that i had but um so basically what happens is is any time that there's a a resurrection that that isn't revivify which is basically someone goes down resurrect you know it's a resurrection spell that happens just right away so basically, there's, there's not time for the soul to leave the body. That's Revivify kind of sidesteps some of this stuff. Um, anytime that it's like, you know, an actual death, like the, you've been dead for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute or more or something like that, or more than a minute, because Revivify, I think, is just a minute. Yeah. Um, basically, you have, uh, I, I think it's the, the person casting, and then uh, from what I've seen on critical role, at least three people contribute in some way to, you know, contribute to this, this resurrection ritual. And it's, um, you know, some sort of either um, just pure stat role or um, some sort of ability check that he adds to it based on what they're offering. So it, it could be something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, my character is, uh, performing CPR or something like that. You know, maybe that's an intelligence check. Um, someone is, you know, a really good friend. They're trying to talk their friend back or, or, or something along those lines. You know, maybe that's a charisma check. Um, someone might do a history check. You know, the area that they're in is a holy place. Maybe it's a religion check with that. You know, there's, there's different things that based on what the players kind of come up with that you can kind of twist and turn and, and put into this. And so they'll do their thing. They'll do a role and then I, I didn't see exactly what the numbers were, but it, it makes a certain difficulty um, that Matt would roll against to see if the resurrection actually happens or not. Did you did you want the numbers? 
Oh, if you got them, I yeah, actually, definitely. So, so this is cool because uh, Matt has actually put these up in full on the DMs Guild. Oh, okay. You can go and it's a, like a pay what you want thing. So uh, pretty much exactly what Ben said. Uh, you get the contribution from the three characters. The DM asks them to make a skill check based on the contribution with the DC of the check adjusting with how helpful and impactful the, the DM feels the contribution will be. Uh, and like the examples Ben gave or praying to the God of the devout fallen character may require a religion check. Mm-hmm. at an easy to medium difficulty where loudly demanding the soul of the fallen to return from the aether <laughs> like an intimidation. <laughs> a charisma intimidation check at a very hard or nearly impossible difficulty <laughs> after all the the contributions are completed the dm then rolls a single final resurrection success check with no modifier the base dc for the final resurrection check is 10 increasing by one for each of the previous successful resurrections the character has undergone, signifying Mm -hmm. the slow erosion of the soul's connection to the world. For each successful contribution skill check, this DC is decreased by three, whereas each failed contribution skill check increases the DC by one. Upon a successful resurrection check, the player's soul, should it be willing, will be returned, and the ritual succeeds. And on a failed, the soul does not return, and the character is lost. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, if, if you watched season one of Critical Role or season two, if you know, if, if there was a death, it was very impactful because there is a chance that it just won't come back. And I mean, there's always a possibility that you know, depending on whatever situation you're in, you might not be able to just bring your friend back. You know, whether if, if it's like um, a certain spell that will just com- like disintegration, if that drops your character down to zero, they're just poof gone. Like there's no bringing them back from that. Um, but not without a wish. Yeah, exactly. Or true resurrection, I think. Uh, yeah, true only- resurrection works. <laughs> God, that's such an amazing spell. It's like, oh, you've been dead for, you know, a hundred years. That's cool. We'll bring you back. I have a speck of dust <laughs> from your fingernail. Ooh, piece of candy. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so um, it, yeah, this is something that's should a death happen in my campaign. It's something that I'm going to use because, again, there's stakes involved with death. It's not just an automatic. Oh, they're coming back. So I really like that. Yeah, um, I do too. Kind of along the same roles, uh, same roles, same same uh, idea here. Um, Something that I heard about that I'm not sure if if you've ever seen it or not, but uh, I think I might be doing this as well because it's going to add a little bit more tension and excitement to death saving throws. Um, Basically, from what I've seen, have the DM roll the death saving throw and don't tell the party what it is. Okay, from your reaction, you have not seen this. (laughs) No, that's interesting though. Yeah, because if you think about it, so, okay, I've got, um, you know, uh, a monk over there who, you know, they, they've collapsed, they've fallen, and uh, they roll their first death saving throw. Oh, you know it's a success. Okay, it's not as important for the cleric to try to go over and heal them right now because, you know, we've got at least, you know, three more rounds of this, we're fine. However, if the party has no idea what the roll actually is, okay, all of a sudden it is imperative to get over there before three rounds have gone to make sure that they're still alive. That's interesting. If the DM's rolling each time, what if they get over there on the fourth round, they try to heal their, their player. Turns out you failed three death saves. That character is already dead before they get over there. It, it, 
it oh, just that idea of not knowing is like, holy crap, we need to do something now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm going to bring that into my game just because uh, so far we've had someone who she's gone down twice, but you know, she's doing her death saves and it didn't really seem like she was really in too much danger because people are like, Oh, you know, she made two successes. We're good here. So yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pull this in. It's, it's scary, but kind of cool. Yeah. And on, along those same lines, one other one, I don't currently use it, um, but that I have, I have kind of thought about, and I'm sure it's, it's not just my <laughs> made up by me. I'm sure it's uh, someone somewhere has made this up already is making uh, going down a little more impactful. Because a lot of times uh, in 5e, you'll see the like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, mm-hmm. little, little bit of heal, fight it, go down, go down. So one, one interesting thing you can do to kind of discourage that type of play a little bit is every time you go down, the next time you get up, you have a level of exhaustion. Ooh, okay. Because the exa- exhaustion as a mechanic is really underused yeah. I think, at 5e a lot. It's, it's extremely, extremely hard to get levels of exhaustion. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting one to give a little more weight and gravity to the idea of going down, even if you're not dead, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of uh, reflect this character is getting beat on. They've gone down multiple times. Um, and that in itself can build up and eventually death as well. Uh, and so, and they can leave a lasting impact from potentially a very hard, very long battle. So take it for what you will. Uh, but that's, that's a, a interesting way to kind of, uh, denote or put some more gravity behind Mm -hmm. going down. So another uh, kind of death save thing. Apparently there's a lot that has to do with death saves. It's, um, and I think it's partially because, especially once you get past a certain level or with a certain party makeup, uh, fifth edition has a lot of ways to save your character, mm-hmm. which from my understanding, because I, I come from a, a pretty much just a 5e background, is is very different than a lot of the older editions where it is much easier to die. Yeah, so. I, from the stories from people, oh, I've been playing since first edition and and you had to have, you know, three ready-made characters for each session just in case. <laughs> it's like, mm, yeah, I also walked both ways uphill to school when I was a kid. So, but uh, yeah, anyways. Um, in the, in the house rule that I, I came across, which I'm I'm not going to implement this one, just because, I, I mean, I, I see where it could be good and where it can be exciting, but it's not something that I really want to do. But so you know how there's medicine as a learned skill that no one ever does anything with because there's healing magic. Um, medicine checks. Like if you run over and you do a medicine check on someone, that counts as one of their death saving throws. So if you roll a 10 on a medicine check on them, you just gave them another success. You're not automatically, you know, sustaining them or anything like that. But if you roll under 10, you just gave them a fail. 
Hmm. Like I said, interesting. I'm not going to use that, but it's an interesting kind of take on a, 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 a not very, I, I'm sure there's some going to be somebody out there. that's like, I use medicine all the time, which is great. But uh, tell us how you use it. Yeah. I mean, other than, Hey, how long has this person been dead or how did they die? I can't think of a lot of other reasons for it. And then, Oh no, that is a broken bone. Yeah. Bless you people who take proficiency. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So do you guys have any cool house rules that you've heard of or that you use? Please send them in along with your one shot ideas to dndiscussions at gmail.com or d at dndiscussions on Twitter. Did you say d at dndiscussions? I don't know, but at dndiscussions or dndiscussions at gmail.com. Yeah, I, I might have misheard you. I don't know. We'll check the tape. But you've got it. You've got it twice now. So exactly. You, know. you have no reason not to let us know what's going on. Exactly. Um, so quick community shout out uh, this week. I'm going to just shout out uh, DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG, both of which are fantastic sites for getting third party published works uh, supplements one shots campaigns monsters mechanics all sorts of stuff all ranging in price from completely free to pay what you want 15 or 20 bucks uh some extremely extremely well done things uh, some that you can even get hard covers or soft covers of ordered really really cool and i know cuz we were talking about one shots and these two places are a fan fantastic way to get content or if you don't want to make up a one shot yourself there's so many people that have made so many like short dnd stories they prep everything for you it's like here's a little three pager it's a one shot has all the stats all the monsters all the story stuff you just gotta read it and then run your players through it Sounds awesome. I get a and, lot of stuff from that. Yeah. yeah you, t- you talk about it a bunch and I'm kind of like, I really need to dig into that. One of these days I will. There's some really good stuff in there. I highly recommend. And a lot of times, uh, especially if you're running adventures, like mm-hmm. sent into Avernus, uh, there are a lot of people that will write supplements to those adventures, like ghosts of salt marsh. Um, and stuff like that, that you can then take and drop into existing adventure campaigns to flush them out or to have more content in one place or another. Very cool. So check that out. Yeah. So uh, speaking of campaigns and one shots and everything, um, I need to hear a story about what's been going on in your campaign. Oh, good Lord. This is, this is ridiculous. So, (laughs) We played this la- this past Friday, and this was kind of the ult- penultimate session, uh, ending session for the year. So I wanted it to be super cool, end on a cliffhanger, you know, that type mm-hmm. of stuff. And so we had just recently had this big warehouse fight. The, the gang got, got the mana bomb back. They met this, this big bad called the Harbinger, who was leading the, this basically terrorist group and they were attacking 
the the main city um, because they didn't the the chromatic dragonborns don't like that the city is supporting the metallic dragonborns essentially mm-hmm. um, and so they recovered it they <laughs> did some shenanigans our half orc wrapped the mana bomb up like a baby and they somehow got it back through customs mostly because they turned the orc invisible and all distracted the guards while the half orcs snuck through. So that was fun. They got it back to, to the beholder. They got a new, he offered them another job uh, along with a very generous reward. They had a little bit of downtime. Um, all six of my players were there, which was super cool. Uh, so there was some, some good downtime discussion uh, between, between characters uh, the whole job was they had to pick up this crate middle of the night elven district from the docks from this boat. Hmm. Uh, he said they didn't need to know what it was. They just needed to know that he wanted it. It was fragile and that he compensate them well. One so, of those. One of those. <laughs> so they get up, you know, they, they take their long rest during the day because they just been through this massive battle. They're all super beat up. Uh, they take their long rest. They get up at 12.30 a.m. in the morning. They make their, their way over to, to the Elven District. And uh, as my group goes, they had zero planning. So they were told to meet this captain, essentially, show him this document, and he would deliver the crate to them. But to do it at a certain time, because there might be competition for this particular item oh so instead of scouting the docks see what the guard rotations look like to see uh where the boat was they end up walking up to the guards and <laughs> the guards begin questioning them as to why they are at the docks at 1 30 a.m in the morning and so it starts, this, this is where the downward spiral started. <laughs> so that starts going poorly. One of the other characters jumps in and says, this guy's drunk. Don't worry, guards. And so they start to pull, pull back, but they, they start getting involved in something else. And then they're just like, no, this guy's actually a dignitary. You need to <laughs> let him. Oh, they changed their story in the middle of it. Yep. Oh no. Do his thing. And so they started talking and they they finally pulled pulled him off. And then as the guards are leaving, the half orc walks up to the boat and goes, Is anyone there? And so the draws the guards back. And then he begins arguing that the boat is actually his. Because the gangway to get onto it is not there. He needs to get on the boat because the crate is on the boat. The ship captain comes up, and because there's guards there, it basically, he's not going to reveal that he's doing some black market crap. Yeah, no kidding. These guys. So he's just like, I don't know who these guys are. Uh, this is my boat. And the, the half-orc's just like, nope, this is my boat. And so it turns into this huge argument over whose boat it is <laughs> they start getting mouthy uh and then and then our rogue tries to sneak down from the docks to swim over onto the ship rolls terrible on his stealth gets caught 
then the half orc attacks the guards. Oh. And so now we are in just a ridiculous situation where the guards are now fighting these guys. The 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 rogue and the half orc barbarian and the the wood elf ranger are now attacking these dudes. My artificers over here going oh my goodness, what is going on? <laughs> and my cleric is sitting over on a bench laughing about this entire thing. And my, my Goliath monk is trying to, to stop this whole thing by restraining the half-orc, and it's just turned into utter chaos. So essentially what happens, kind of long story short, is Artificer has this genius idea he turns into a guard is able to defuse the situation and get the them to just take the the ranger the barbarian and the rogue with them to jail they're going to jail yeah so he leads them on while <laughs> the cleric then uses his ring of jumping to jump over to the ship <laughs> while this is all going on while the the fight is going on mm-hmm. To try and talk to the captain, captain is just like, I don't know who you are. What are you doing on my ship? Guards, guards, help me. <laughs> oh, no. Cleric then takes his hand, puts it over the guy's mouth and says, I'm just going to try and quiet him up a little bit. I'm going to use burning hands to kind of, you know, <laughs> just, you know, just. Get him to get him to be quiet. Yep, because uh, searing rolls, fire pain definitely makes people quiet. He rolls four damage dice. <laughs> I said, I said, you look over, and just as the man's eyes are burning out, he killed him. Oh my god! Corpse falls on the deck, and this is this is totally this is totally in character. Both both for the person and for the character, it was be just like this guy to try and do something like that, not understanding that that is going to kill some, a, a just a random person. Yeah. Person. Yeah. Oh, so now he's gosh. killed this dude. They're getting carted off to jail. Goliath comes back, jumps on and he's like lawful good. And so now he is totally not okay with what just happened. And so now they're having a little like argument on the ship, trying to find this crate. They find it. The artificer convinces the guards to let him carry them the rest of the way. He, and he's pissed at the rest of the party. He's just like, how dare you guys? You need to listen to me next time. Leads them back. But by the time they get back, the other party of three buyers who are kind of the competition to the other guy they sent are now there and a big fight breaks out <laughs> and it just oh it the whole thing becomes just a super massive mess. <laughs> and it was one of the best four and a half hour sessions i've ever played in my entire life that's amazing I, you gotta love it when things completely fall apart from like point one you know this was this was meant to be just a tiny side quest that they were going on so that they could get to the Dwarven district when everything was going to go to crap, Harbinger was going to unleash his attack on the city, which was foreshadowed and uh, which 
he had plans and stuff drawn out for, but they never ended up doing any sort of searching of the warehouse. So they never found any of it. <laughs> On tip DMs, you can prepare, but if they don't look for your stuff, they don't look for your stuff, and you know, stuff's still gonna happen whether they find it or not. Yeah, just didn't have any warning for it. So <laughs> that was meant to. I was meant to have that happen, and this huge, you know, intro battle to this whole next siege of the city type thing happened. But instead, they they got just the very front end of that. Because most of the session took place on the docks, <laughs> a scuffle in the guards, and just a whole lot of shenanigans, and it was so much fun. That okay, that sounds amazing. That sounds really good. I oh man, I literally yeah. had to make up ninety percent of the session. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, it, and it was with super it going fun. so different. Yeah, you'd have to. I mean, yeah, I. I the second that they approached they the guards, didn't know, like they didn't know, so I, I, I <laughs> yeah. feel like I did my job. It it worked out well, but oh, I can't still, believe they killed the captain. <laughs> that that alone, we were everyone was just dying. <laughs> everyone was just dying. It was uh, that was such a funny moment, and it's moments like that that are ridiculous, but everyone will remember and talk about those oh, yeah. things. And Definitely. it's not this big boss battle here or whatever. Just, remember when you killed the captain on that ship? <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so unfortunately, I, I I wasn't able to get together with my group uh, since last uh, episode. Um, it, this is a really busy time for me for work. So finding the time to to game and stuff is probably not going to be happening till after the first of the year. But um, a few weeks ago, Nevermore and I did have some fun, played a little one shot to, to fit with our theme today. And uh, we went to a cat cafe that was uh, hosting a D&D night. So fun, uh, fun. Yeah, it was absolutely. I mean, we had a lot of fun with it. First of all, cats everywhere, like literally cats everywhere. Cause you know, it's a cat cafe. So, um, you know, when Nevermore got the information about it and everything, she's like, Hey, do you want to do this? I'm like, do I want to play D and D? Yes. I mean, that's the default answer. It's always yes. So then I found out I was at the cat cafe. I'm like, great. This is awesome. My first question, do we have to be tabaxi? Which no, we didn't. We could be anything that we wanted to. Um, so we got a little bit of a, of a concept of what the game is supposed to be. It was, um, kind of Egyptian themed because, you know, Egyptians worshiped cats and, you know, it, it, it was all kind of a cat thing. It was pretty great. So uh, I went ahead. I'm like, okay, uh, I, I, I ended up, Oh, and we could be level 10, which was the most amazing thing about this. Yes. It's like, you don't get a whole lot of that. No, no. So uh, level 10, I, I'm like, okay, I, I had a couple ideas of what I wanted to do and everything until finally it just kind of hit me. I'm like, okay, I have to make this character. I just, I just have to. So I made a tortle cleric who is, totally uh, this. Oh yeah. He's the, the, uh, the, the knowledge domain or the lore domain, whichever one it is. Um, basically he's an archeologist. So he's, you know, he takes his time. He goes through and, you know, uh, uh, you know, searches temples and, you know, Indiana Jones, he is not, but 
he still slowly makes his way through things and 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 figures out uh, you know uh, the traps uh, like all the spells that i took uh it was all based on, okay, you know, detect evil, find objects, uh, detect traps, like everything. So basically I, I totally OP'd myself on what we would be doing in this. So because of that, I'm like, I'm not, I can't do that because that's a jerk move for a one shot for a bunch of people to play. So I'm like, whatever, I'm still going to do this. And, and I'm just not going to use every spell at my disposal because again, I'm not going to, I'm I'm not someone who needs to take the spotlight or anything when I play. At least I try not to. I mean, everybody gets their time to shine in a campaign. This was definitely not mine. It's a one shot. But I was so excited anyway, because the concept of the character was great. And I talked all slow and... And a cat cafe. <clears throat> oh, yeah, definitely. So um, we go, we, we meet the other people for the one shot and everything. It's... Um, uh, some dude seems cool uh, and me and nevermore, of course. Um, uh, another like college age uh, uh, woman. She was pretty cool. And then a dad and like his probably like 10 year old daughter. So it, instantly I'm like, I'm doing whatever she says. This is her first time playing D and D. We're making this the best experience ever for her. That's so cool. So, like yeah. So we go in, we play um, uh, like we, the, the first bit of, uh, the first encounter is she just kind of threw us into some combat with some displacer beasts, uh, which, you know, those are fun to fight anyway. Uh, because a hot I, start, you might Oh, say. yeah. It was definitely a hot start. Um, so because there was like some sort of artifact or whatever, I just went right for it immediately, which triggered the whole thing and stuff. And and so I had displacer beasts on me, but I'm a turtle, so, you know, they're hitting my, my shell. It's not a big deal. You know, combat wasn't like overly hard or anything like that, but... Um, like the 10 year old was doing stuff. She was a ranger. She was having fun. No, she was druid. That's what she was um, going around, like having fun with stuff. Um, we go back to the adventurers guild. We had to basically, we had a choice of, of trying to do a couple things to do a favor for someone to get some information. Uh, we ended up uh, <laughs> going to this person who owed the, the quest giver money and we were going to shake them down except uh, well, and the, the the ten year old's like hey, we're gonna get that money and everything and was like oh okay <laughs> so they're they're all like yeah it's so funny I've seen so many stories and it's usually the, the young girls who are like super bloodthirsty <laughs> it was pretty great so we go and it. then um, you know we get like uh uh like the, a couple copies like it's all I have and everything and everybody's about to turn away and I'm all insight check get like a 23 or something like that is not the only money he has so then we go and talk to his wife and she's pissed off because he's been gambling again and gives us the money and everything and so you get the info we need uh we we go out to the uh, find the temple and then there were these really creative traps that like for the most part were like very cat themed there's a like like basically a laser pointer one um there was yes. this this uh floor we had to cross we had to step on the certain tiles but they were all musical or made musical notes and we basically had to play the the meow mix song uh <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh finally at the very end uh we fought some mummies and uh you know went back to the adventures guild and stuff and it was just it was really clever and fun and i had a good time did did everyone else? Have oh a yeah, good time? totally, totally. So was it was it a few people's first time playing? Um, 
from what I can tell, I think it was the, the, the 10 year olds again, that might not be her age. I'm just throwing it out there, but I'm saying she's around 10. Uh, It was her first time. Her dad had played like other editions a long time ago. So he was like, basically, Hey, I'm, you know, going to jump back and see what this fifth edition's about and, you know, introduce my daughter into it and stuff. And I think everybody else had played. That is super cool. Yeah. It it was super cool. Like overly fun. I'm really glad that I could, you know, experience and see what it was like, like through her eyes and through her dad, who was, you know, trying to help her along with stuff. And like, she had some pretty good ideas on, on different things that she could do. Uh, at one point she did a, a, a beast form of a giant Cobra, which did nothing. Cause we were just, you know, in, in the temple or whatever, but I was just like, Oh, that's cool. You know, just like giving as much cheers and kudos as we could and stuff. But I mean, overall it was pretty great. Super cool. Super cool. That is that is an awesome, awesome experience to have for just a, a random cat cafe one shot. <laughs> exactly. It was like three, four hours, something like that. And, you know, like he logged off work, went over there, had a blast. Awesome. Super cool. Uh, and you too can do that too, because uh, a lot of local game so- shops and stores run those type of things all mm-hmm. the time exactly so check check around your area see if you have a uh, local game store if you if you don't know uh most of them i've been in have been really cool we've got a few here in kansas city that have been awesome i absolutely love and i, I go hang out and there's all sorts of people that are very interested in helping others join the hobby so exactly check that out well Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, and that happy holidays our, if, you don't, uh, if you don't celebrate Christmas. Either way. Yeah. We, uh, we hope you have a wonderful time, wonderful holidays. Hope you uh, enjoy, get some, some time off work. I know yeah. some people will not, uh, but we still love you. And we are sending you lots of, uh, lots of love and hopefully D&D time. Exactly. I'm, I'm stealing some of that because I don't get a whole ton of time off work. So no. yeah, you, you are <laughs> welcome to it then. All right, good. <laughs> well, before we go, Ben, uh, where can everybody get a hold of us? Well, um, as you said multiple times throughout this episode, hint, hint, everybody. Uh, if you have a one shot or uh, some house rules or any other reason whatsoever that you want to contact us, you can always email, email us, send us. It's getting late and uh, I can't, you know, pronounce words anymore, but uh, you can email us, uh, send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. If you want a much faster response, uh, usually, I mean, you're a lot faster than I am, but uh, you know, we both try to respond as as best we can on Twitter and that would be at dndiscussions.com on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, if people want to find you personally or just want to throw you in there just to make sure they they get both of us, uh, what would be your Twitter? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at TBKZord. Love to hear from you. Love to chat. All right. If you're looking for me, you can find me. I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Uh, I also love to talk and respond and do what I can when I have the time as, as, as soon as I can. Um, but other than that, if you like this episode and this is the very first one that you've listened to, you can find every single episode that we've done on dndiscussions.com, also on Google on iTunes and pretty much everywhere that you, uh, you know, well, I, Hey, if you're listening to this, you found a place where you can find us. So keep going back. But, uh, other than that, um, <laughs> Merry Christmas, happy holidays. 
Uh, and Ryan, it, it has uh, been a great beginning of the year uh, talking to you about D&D. And I'm really looking forward to next year and seeing what adventures we can go on. I know, right? The next episode we, re- we record will be in 2020. That's weird. Crazy. I know. Really weird. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. We look forward to a whole nother year of lots of D&D talk. And we will see you next time. Be good to each other and take care. Just a heads up, Ryan and I are going to be taking a little bit of a holiday break, but we'll be back for your listening pleasure on January 13th. Till then, happy holidays and be good to each other.